I invite you to listen now for the word of God. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore do whatever they teach you and follow it. But do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and to have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all students. And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father, the one in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. It seems to me that this teaching of Jesus is an extended reflection on an invitation he, he gave earlier in this gospel, in the 11th chapter, an invitation so beautiful and assuring, many among us have it memorized. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and in me you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I can't count really the number of bedsides I have read those words around. Looking over at a person who may be anxious, Afraid, confused, grieving. And often you can see the tears begin to flow, the weight visibly lifting. They are lighter. Their circumstances may not have changed at all, but something in them has changed. Just through hearing these ancient words, this long-standing invitation. People often say the words right along with me, often in the King James Version. The surgery will still happen. The pain has not subsided. The loss is just as real. Whatever is causing the suffering remains to be faced and walked through. But now, in these simple words, a reminder. 
that they do not face it alone. I am gentle and humble in heart, and in me you will find rest for your souls. I think it's an incorrect or at least a superficial reading of today's text to think that it is primarily about those bad old scribes and Pharisees who parade around with broad phylacteries and long fringes. The phylacteries, as you know, were the small uh, leather boxes that were meant to contain scripture passages that were worn affixed to the forehead. This was done in response to the saying in the Old Testament to wear these as a sign upon your foreheads. In the time of Jesus, those small phylacteries had gotten larger and larger, broader and broader, as Jesus says, in an attempt to do nothing more than call attention to them, call attention to the one wearing them. Likewise, the fringes were worn around the neck kind of like a stole. They were uh, to indicate one was bound to the law. These were becoming more and more elaborate and longer and longer, again, in order to call attention to the one wearing them. It is kind of a spectacle. It had become one, scholars believe, in the time of the first century, and easy to make fun of. And perhaps some of the followers of Jesus do chuckle as he tells or calls attention to this common sight. But this teaching is really not, in the end, about the scribes and the Pharisees. In the end, Jesus turns his attention to the disciples, his followers, you and me. And in words reminiscent of that gracious invitation I mentioned earlier, reminds them that they are to lead in a different way. They are to be different. They're not to relate in a hierarchical way to one another, but relate to one another as equals, fellow learners with one teacher. They're not to throw titles around to impress one another, or even more problematic, to try to impress God, but to recognize that we are all of us children of God, the God Jesus calls Father, all of us have one father. What is needed, says Jesus, is a relinquishing of pomp and prestige and titles so that we might be free to love God and love our neighbors, which is the heart of the law. Humility is exalted in God's eyes because humility points or is a signifier of a heart that is turned away from the self and away from ego and toward God and the other. As I've been reading the devotional book that we've been reading together as a congregation and reflecting on these texts in light of generosity, it becomes clearer and clearer to me that generosity, as this author conceives of it, is a symptom, a symptom of a changed heart. Generous people 
are that way because somewhere along the way they learn to hold loosely to possessions and titles and all the things the world would like us to exalt and cling to and instead open themselves to give for the sake of the neighbor in response to God's grace. I have to tell you, there are times when I have been more generous than others. I suspect that's true for all of us, but I'll just speak for myself right now. None of us have arrived, I think, when it comes to the call of discipleship. We are all on the way. And because there are seasons when I can be less generous than others, it's given me some opportunity this season to reflect on what it is exactly that's happening for me and in me when I am and am not being generous. And it's almost always the case that the times I am less than generous are those times when I am afraid, fearful, overwhelmed, negligent, in the practices of faith. Times when I feel that for me to give of myself to another, whether it's a gift of time or a gift of emotion or a gift of resources, would somehow diminish me. Those are the times when I can cling and be less than generous. I remember very clearly an Easter weekend many years ago when my children were still young. It was the Saturday before Easter, Holy Saturday, and I had worked myself into quite a corner. I had an Easter Sunday service coming, uh, Easter sunrise service coming the next morning at 6 a.m., and the time was changing to daylight savings time that weekend, which I despise. Today is one of my favorite days of the year. And neither of the sermons were coming together. And I had counted the hours, actually written them down. The hours that I had to work if I hoped that the sermon would at the very least not stink on Sunday. I was working from home and sitting at the computer when I felt that little tug on my sleeve. Dad, I want to practice. This was my son. And those words always meant one thing, that he wanted me to come outside and kick the soccer ball with him. Practice was putting more weight on that than it surely deserved. And he was never really that into the practice. It was just a way of spending time with me. And knowing all of that, I said no more quickly than I should have, telling him I had important work that I was doing. Tomorrow, I announced, was Easter, after all, the Super Bowl of Christianity. And he seemed to take it well and left. And a few minutes later, my wife came around the corner with a look that said he had not taken it quite as well as I thought. Why did you tell Caleb that you wouldn't go outside with him? And I was incensed at the question. 
Well, if you had looked at your calendar, you will see that tomorrow is Easter. You know, the Super Bowl of of Christianity. And she said, you know, Easter will happen. It's really not up to you for Easter to happen. It will be wonderful. It always is. But we only have these kids for a short time. And Caleb's just asking for a few minutes. She was right. I didn't let her know that right at that moment because I have my pride after all. But eventually I did and I went outside and we practiced for 15 minutes in the sun on a spring day. 15 minutes. It's a little embarrassing now to even share that story. Why did I not have, why did I not think that I had 15 minutes to spare? Well, I didn't think I had it because I had convinced myself that that time would diminish me. But in fact, it renewed me. It gave me joy. I think it contributed to a glorious Easter day. It certainly made my son's day. I think this at least is at least part of what Jesus teaches us today. Following him should not be a burden we bear, but a joyful relinquishing of the burden of status and titles and the need to be in control and perfect in our following. The author of our devotional guide says about giving, people who practice extravagant generosity change their lives in order to become generous. They become rich in giving. They do not wait to be asked. When they see a need, they step forward to meet it, offering their resources as a means of help. They look at difficult financial times through eyes of faith rather than fear. They persist in doing good. They give in all seasons. They enjoy giving. They delight in generosity. Tithing or proportional giving is a life choice that rearranges the furniture of our interior lives. It blesses us. Now I have to tell you, those words are both an invitation to me and a challenge to me. I know that spiritual state of being when I feel that the giving of my money or my time or my emotions will diminish me. I know what it is like to, in that state to cling and withhold and put up walls. And so my giving at least in, is at least in part a spiritual practice that I do in order to, by the grace of God alone, maintain the proper, humble perspective that Jesus invites It's a daily thing for me 
to try to stay in that state of mind where I know that every breath I take comes from the hand of God and everything I have, I have because of God's grace. That invitation of Jesus is for each one of us and it is for us as a community. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. May it be so for all of us today and every day. Amen.